Hi guys, my name's Jason and this is the UK Money Podcast. On this podcast, I talk about all things money, personal finance, investments, and just generally how to get ahead financially. Now, whilst I am a financial planner, it's really important to note that on this podcast, I'm not providing financial advice. What I'm just going to be doing is providing some information, education that hopefully you'll find valuable when you are planning your own uh, finances and your own investments. On today's podcast, and we're going to be talking about a, a few different things, we're going to be talking about lifetime ISAs. So there's been a lot of questions that I've been receiving um, via via Instagram, via my YouTube channel um, on lifetime ISAs and some of the specifics around those. Obviously, there's been a stamp duty holiday at the moment, which is really really driving the uh, really driving the property market quite a bit. So I think a lot of people are uh, starting to um, think even harder about potentially buying a house. So I'm going to talk uh, about lifetime ISAs, some of the detail of them, and um, that will hopefully provide you some insight as to whether you should be considering it for you if you're if you're planning to buy a house. Another question I got. Um, via a comment on my on my YouTube channel was uh, whether the person should be, they asked whether they should be investing um, into an ISA via Hargreaves Lansdowne or via Vanguard. And I think it's a really good question because on the face of it, these two platforms, these, these two providers look like they do the same thing. And they kind of do in a lot of ways, but there's also some key differences between the way in which they go about it. So I'm not going to be recommending whether HL or uh, Vanguard is the better way to go because there's not actually a single answer to that question. What I am going to be doing is talking a little bit about the differences between these two platforms um, and giving you a a bit of information as to uh, which is potentially the right one for you, depending on what your objectives are. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, The last thing that I'm going to be talking about today is... um, a, the concept of whether investing in shares, when you are investing in shares, whether you can lose everything. Because this is something that comes up quite often uh, for people, especially people who haven't invested in the past and it's all quite new to them. Um, there is this concern that investments are like, or shares in particular, are like gambling, that you're throwing your money away and hoping for the best. And so I want to talk a little bit about why that's definitely not the case, as long as you're diversified, obviously. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about the the Sony PlayStation 5 and the Sony share price and kind of how that relationship has worked. So that's, uh, that's the show for today. I think there's going to be some interesting stuff in here. So please do stick around and let's get into it. So the first thing I'm going to talk about today is a lifetime ISA. Now, a lifetime ISA is an account that's been set up to allow people to save or help people save for their first home. Now, you may have heard of the help to buy ISA, which had a is a similar, I guess, a kind of similar um, a wrapper, a similar product that was set up. But the lifetime ISA has replaced the help to buy ISA. So, if you already have a help to to buy ISA, you can still keep paying into it, um, but the the you can't actually take out a new one anymore. So lifetime ISA is, is the new one. And from my perspective, I think it provides a lot of additional benefits to the help to buy ISA. So how does it actually work? Let's talk through the details. So essentially what happens is that any money you put into a lifetime ISA, the government provides a 25% bonus on that contribution. Now, you can put up to a maximum of £4,000 into a lifetime ISA each year. So obviously, that then means that if you use that full max, if you put in £4,000 of your own money, the government would give give you £1,000 on top of that. So there's not many investments that can provide you a 25% bonus guarantee, sort of almost like a 25% return guaranteed on your money. 
And this is one of those those few instances where you know potentially it sounds too good to be true, but you know actually it is. It's um, it's a fantastic sort of uh, situation. It's a fantastic um, product, really, because you are getting potentially a thousand pounds a year for free from the government. Now, there are some obviously some caveats and some some um, points to be aware of when you're doing that. It's not all uh, it's not all perfect depending on on your scenario. So, the first thing is that that four thousand, if you use that full four thousand or you know whatever whatever amount you put into a lifetime ISA, really, it does use some of your twenty thousand pounds ISA limit. So, if you have already put in twenty thousand pounds into a cash ISA or a stocks and shares ISA this year, then unfortunately you won't be able to use a lifetime ISA. Again, next year, if you do decide to use the full £4,000 allowance, it means you've then only got £16,000 that you can be putting into either a cash ISA or a lifetime ISA. Now, with that said, um, in terms of the actual structure of a lifetime ISA, you can have a cash version or a stocks and shares version. So the really the same rules apply to any sort of investment. You know, if you're considering um, purchasing a house in the next 12 months, next couple of years, um, probably going to be the best option to stick to a cash ISA. You know, you probably don't have a long enough time frame to be investing investing for growth. If, on the other hand, if you're planning to, um, it's not an imminent plan to buy a house. You think you will do at some point in the future, um, but you're uh, you don't have like a set time frame that's a couple of years. If you're thinking it's going to be more than five years, then potentially it might be worth looking at a at a stocks and shares version of it because obviously, you know, on top of the on top of the um, bonus that you're getting, that 25% bonus, you can also potentially get compound growth on your own money and on the bonus as well. Now, to set up any form of lifetime ISA, you have to be between the ages of 18 and 40. So um, to be, I guess, really clear on that, you have to be over 18 and under 40. So if you are already 40 years old, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to open a, a new lifetime ISA. If you're 39, You've got just enough time to get in there and get uh, get one set up. Now, if you are bet- between the ages of 18 and 40, um, you have some ISA allowance left for this tax year and you decide you want to set one up, once the money goes in there, the bonus gets paid uh, pretty much straight away. It's usually at the end of the month. And once it's in there, it's kind of stuck in there unless you decide to use it for a couple of specific uh, purposes. Now, the first of those specific purposes is obviously to buy a house. So there's no restrictions on that. You know, essentially, when you um, when you complete on your house, when it, when it, when the settlement time comes around, your the funds can be withdrawn and, and used to pay that off. So no penalty or anything in, in those circumstances. It's obviously what the account was designed for. If you decide through the course of your life you don't want to buy a house or you're not able to afford the mortgage or whatever the case may be, you don't have to use that money to buy a house. Instead. What you can do is actually leave your funds, you know, leave them growing in there, leaving growing inside the ISA, and you can actually access it with no penalty at age sixty. So, at the very least, you know, if you do, if you don't end up buying a house, it's another really um, good way to be saving for retirement. Just like the other forms of ISA, it is completely tax free, so you do still have the benefits of allowing your assets to grow in a in a tax free environment. Now, with that said. If you decided that you wanted to access the money before you were 60 and not to purchase a house, you can actually do that. You can take the money out really whenever you want. There's not actually any restrictions on you accessing the money. But there is a catch. And that catch is that there's a penalty to do that. So 
in kind of normal times, the penalty to withdraw a um, lifetime ISA early and not for a uh, house purchase is 25% of the balance. So effectively what that means is that you will lose the bonus that you've got plus a little bit of extra on top as well. Now, with everything that's been going on with coronavirus, this is one of the areas where the government has provided a bit of a leeway for people who potentially needed access to some extra money. So up until uh, the new tax year, so up until the 5th of April 2021 is the end of this current tax year, up until that date, you can actually withdraw the money with a 20% penalty. So it's still a penalty, but essentially what that means is you just have to give the bonus back, basically. So a little bit of flexibility for the time being, um, but I would, I wouldn't, uh, if you know, if you're looking to set one up, I would be planning for the fact that there is that early penalty of 25. percent You know, especially with um, with the vaccine news lately. Hopefully, by sort of at least the middle of next tax year, life will have gotten back to normal somewhat, and uh, and I would expect that 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 full penalty of 25 percent would be would be added on. So just something to keep in mind. You know. It is tax free. It is a really good. Um, it is a really good uh, program. But I would only be going into it if um, I was pretty sure that I was going to be spending that on on a, pro- a property. Now, um, a couple other points on that. You can um, do one each if you're in a couple. So, one of the other issues or um, re- requirements of starting a lifetime master is that you can't have owned a property anywhere in the world before. So that includes like a shared ownership scheme or something like that. But if you've owned a house before, you're not going to be eligible for a lifetime ISA. It is designed for first home buyers. But like say, if you're in a couple, you can both have a lifetime ISA. So actually, um, if you both paid in the maximum each year, you both paid in £4,000 each, you could actually get £2,000 as a bonus. So a really good way in which to really boost your savings if you're a young couple saving your first home, really good way to boost your savings for that first house. Now, when you do get around to actually um, looking at your first house, you've you've uh, been following everything on right move, you've been saving for your deposit for months and years and years, um, and you finally found the perfect property. Now, in order to use your lifetime ISA, there is one additional caveat, and that's that you need to be purchasing a property that's less than £450,000 if you're in England. So, you know, if you're a Premier League footballer or a tech mogul or something, you're going to buy a multi-million pound mansion, it's probably not going to be the right account for you. Um, I would suggest that for most first-time home buyers, um, even those in London, uh, under four hundred and fifty thousand pounds is probably going to cover a lot of people. Um, but again, if you're if you're a high-income earner and you are living in London or somewhere really expensive, you know potentially that might be an issue. So again, just something to to keep in mind: you can only spend uh, buy spend use lifetime ISA on a property that's up to four hundred and fifty thousand pounds in uh, in England. There's a number of different providers of lifetime houses out there. So, you know, I'm not going to go over any of the specifics now, but it's really just a, a simple Google search, you know, which which is the best lifetime ISA or best lifetime ISAs or something like that. And it will provide you with a number of, of different options. Now, there's, a, I guess, a, a point to remember on that as well is that um, you can, as I say, use a cash version or a stocks and shares version of a lifetime ISA. And you do have the flexibility to transfer that if you decide to. So, you know, you might decide that you'd like to start with a stocks and shares lifetime ISA, for example, um, and then you might do that for three, four, five years, invest that way, and then you might start to think, well, you know what, um, this is a bit more imminent now. You know, I think we 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 actually are going to be wanting to buy a house in in the not too distant future. You know, so at that point, you know, you could very easily transfer your stocks and shares lifetime ISA 
into a cash lifestyle miser. And actually, I would probably suggest that that's a good idea. You know, the last thing you want is having everything invested up until um, you're ready to buy a property because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with markets. Um, you don't want to see the value of your portfolio drop 10% the week before you're, you're planning to actually access the money. So, you know, that is, is, a, is, a, is a feature of a lifetime asset I think is is well worth looking at. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be a transfer from moving from a stocks and shares to a cash ISA. It might just be that um, you're wanting to stick to cash ISAs, but there's a particular provider that has better interest rates or um, a better level of investment choice or lower fees or whatever. You can transfer them um, between providers kind of whenever you want, really. So one final point on lifetime ISAs is that they uh, do have to have been opened for at least 12 months before you can actually use them on a first house. So I think this is to stop the old, um, you know, stop people basically um, ready to buy a house, already saved the deposit, just 100% ready to go, and they just whack £4,000 each for a couple in and pick up a free two grand from the government. You know, the idea is that it is supposed to be a genuine savings vehicle. So that, I think, is to try and avoid that. So if you are... Um, if you are planning on buying a house again, you know, it's probably worth starting that clock ticking. So I've talked a lot about £4,000. Um, that's the maximum you can put in, but actually you can put in £100 if you wanted to. So that 12-month clock does start ticking once you've, put the, once you've actually opened the account and put some money into it. So I would suggest that's probably worth doing, um, even if you don't have a lot of spare money to be contributing to it right now. You know, uh, it, there's no harm in it. Um, like I say, you can still invest the money so or have it in cash. There's not really a huge amount of difference if you're just comparing it to having a little bit of savings in your savings account or something, if you are planning on using it for a house in, at some point. So um, needs to be open more than 12 months, and that's probably, um, you know, just one of the other, other points to consider. So... That's, a, I guess, a very whistle-stop summary of Lifetime ISIS. Um, if you have any questions about Lifetime ISIS, if there's something that you think I've missed or a question um, that I haven't answered for you, then please do get in touch with me. Um, all my contact information is in the show notes. Got my email on there. You can also find me on, uh, on, on YouTube. This is obviously the UK Money Podcast. I also uh, am over there as UK Money TV. So if video is more your thing, um, I cover a range of different topics like I do on the podcast, but it's not just a, a replay of the podcast. I've got a, a number of different videos that I do specifically for YouTube. So if video is your thing, please do head over and check me out there. I'm also on Twitter, Jay, um, under my name, Jason Mountford, and on, on uh, Instagram, under my name, Jason Mountford as well. So lots of places you can get in touch with me and ask questions and um, and uh, just see, see what else I'm putting out there that hopefully can help you with your, your financial situation. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to have a little bit of a talk about today is through this question that I got on one of my YouTube videos. And um, in that YouTube video, I was talking about um, ISIS. So not just lifetime ISIS like I've just been talking about, but um, stocks and shares ISIS, cash ISIS, and just providing an overview of how they work and, and the benefits of them and things like that. Now, um, one of the questions I got in the comments was, I want to open a stocks and shares ISA. Should I use Vanguard or should I use Hargreaves Lansdowne? And I thought it was a good question because that person's obviously asking me that question because you go into Google, you type in stocks and shares investment ISA and Hargreaves and Vanguard are probably two of them, the first ones that are going to come up. You know, they're, they're some of the biggest, if not the biggest investment providers in the UK. And that makes sense because they are. Um, you can invest it into the stock market, into various different funds. Um, 
using both options, but the way that they approach investment is actually quite different. So the main difference between them is that Vanguard, uh, you you may have heard of them before, they're basically um, the world's biggest provider of index tracking or, or passive investments. They invest, they generally um, provide funds, they provide ETFs, um, and they do have a global coverage. So, you know, the, you've got UK index trackers, global index trackers, US index trackers, all sorts of different funds, but all under the Vanguard banner. Now, Vanguard's other kind of thing going in theme in that theme of index investing, low cost investing, is that they are all about low fees. That is their number one prime selling point, is that they compete on cost. And they believe that they could provide you with investment um, exposure to a range of different assets at a very, very cheap cost. Now, if you are looking to invest in a stocks and shares ISA and you wanted to invest via the Vanguard platform, the key point on that is that Vanguard only offer their own funds to invest in on their platform. So the benefits are that the costs are very low. So I think... Um, if you're looking at a, a balance of under 250K, I've just had a look at their website before. I've got the figure here somewhere. Um, Vanguard will charge you um, for the actual platform. They'll charge you 0.15% um, if the balance is under 250,000 pounds. So you pay that, then you pay the fund management cost, which might be 0 0.2, 0 0.3. And broadly speaking, you could have um, a portfolio that's under half a percent pretty easily, potentially even under 0.4%. So they offer a very, very, very low cost, but the investment selection isn't huge. You know, if you want to be investing in, um, I don't know, some really niche assets, you want to be investing in um, gold, gold and silver type funds, you want to be investing in specific um, tech sector, you want to be investing in niche countries, you want to be select making your own asset allocation, really specific asset allocation. It's not going to give you all of those options. You know, it is kind of a broad spectrum. They do have quite a few different choices, but there's going to be a limit as to how specific you can get on that. You also won't be able to invest with, you know, rockstar fund managers or specific investment companies that maybe you like. You know, it does just come down to the fact that they're very low cost, but they don't have quite as many options. Hargreaves lands down on the other uh, on the other side. Uh, a much more, I guess, full service provider is the term I'd use. Now, I don't mean that in terms of the the functionality of the platform or anything like that, but in terms of the level of investment choice that they offer, it is going to be significantly, significantly higher than what you get from Vanguard. And you know that means that if you had a specific fund manager that you wanted to invest with, or you had a specific investment company that you wanted to invest with. Um, or you had really niche things you wanted to invest into, Hargreaves is potentially going to be the better option for you. You know, Hargreaves Lansdowne aren't just offering Hargreaves Lansdowne funds. They have a much, much wider selection. With that said, that extra, those extra features and, and um, investment options comes at a higher cost. So if you're investing in, in funds, um, the, I said it was 0.15 for Vanguard, Hargreaves Lansdowne charged 0.45. The portfolio is under 250k. Now, you know, the fee fee structure for both of these isn't isn't super straightforward. You're better off going online and checking it out yourself because it will depend on what you want to invest in. Um, for example, if you buy direct equities through Hargreaves Lansdowne, they don't charge that fee and it's a sliding scale over 250k and stuff. But 
Um, you know, I don't want to just sit here and go through the whole charging structure of both these companies. But broadly speaking, Hargreaves Lansdowne will generally charge you more for a portfolio of the same value than Vanguard would. But as I said, the payoff for that is you have a, 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 a much wider investment universe to select from. So if you are looking to answer this question yourself, should I invest with Hargreaves Lansdowne or should I invest with Vanguard or should, should I invest with, you know, any of the other platforms that are out there, AJ Bell, um, uh, Interactive Investors, whoever, it really comes down to knowing what it is that you're looking for from an investment portfolio. So if you're just looking for the absolute um, cheapest way to access investment markets, that then sends you towards you know certain providers like Vanguard, for example. iShares, BlackRock, not a platform, but they have a lot of index funds as well. There's loads of different um, low-cost solutions out there that you can be having a look at. If, on the other hand, you have some really specific uh, ideas on how you want to invest, you know, then that potentially um, is going to cost you a bit more. But if you're okay with that, you know, platforms like Hargreaves, like AJ Bell, are potentially going to be the ones to be having a look at. So, really, it just comes down to identifying exactly what you want, what you want your portfolio to look like, and then finding the best platform that matches um, matches those objectives for you. Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about today is this idea of when I invest in the stock market, can I lose everything? And this is something that has that comes up relatively frequently um, for people who haven't invested much in the past. And you know, it, it is understandable because the stock market can seem like a pretty, um, pretty crazy and scary kind of thing if you're not if you don't really understand what exactly what it represents and, and what you're buying into. You know, stock prices can move around a lot. Um, this year in particular, we've seen a lot of volatility in stock markets, especially earlier in the year with the whole coronavirus situation. The news loves to talk about billions being wiped off the stock market. So, you know, it can seem really scary. It can seem like nobody really has any control over what's going on. But I think if that's you, if, if you're in that kind of situation where you um, you are nervous about investing, you're not exactly sure what it all means. Um, I think it's important to take a step back and think about what the stock market actually is. And I have done a, a YouTube video on this um, this week about um, whether buying a PlayStation 5 can actually impact the stock market. And the answer is that it can. And we've seen that, um, we've seen a really, I think it's a good example, I guess, to be looking at, at that stock market in action. So we've seen a big demand for um, the PlayStation 5 over the last few months. If you're not a gamer or, or whatever, um, then you know you may, you may have missed that. But there's been a really big demand for it. Um, there's been a lot of pre-orders necessary. There's been a lot of people who haven't been able to get their hold uh, their hands on a PlayStation 5. And I'm not a, a, a gamer um, specifically myself, but I, I saw this uh, this news section uh, news article and I thought it'd be interesting to see how that had impacted the the Sony share price. So. Went on there and had a look, and uh, lo and behold, over the last six months, Sony share price has actually been performing really quite nicely. And essentially, that is what the stock market is. Now, you know, the PlayStation Five isn't Sony's only business, but it's a it's a really large part of their business. And people pre-ordering, people um, buying the PlayStation, people buying PlayStation games, people buy, buying accessories is all money that's being spent with Sony. And as that money is spent with Sony, it obviously goes into onto Sony's balance sheet. And as an investor, investors then look at Sony and see it as an attractive place to invest. Now, once uh, when people start wanting to buy those shares, the more people that want to buy them, 
the more demand there is for them, the higher the price will go. And this is basically all that the stock market is. Now, it's not just Sony, obviously, that are in this situation. You know, if you think about some of the things that you've spent money on this week. So um, I bought a couple of Christmas presents off Amazon um, for my wife this week. So straight away there, I've spent some money on Amazon. Now, I'm not the only person spending money with Amazon. There's obviously millions of people all over the world who are doing that. All of that money is getting added to Amazon's bottom line. They're um, they're making revenues, they're making profits, which then drives investors to look at Amazon and think, well, look at the profits that Amazon are making. That's actually a pretty good business to invest in. More people want to buy into the story, more people want to buy into the business, and the share price rises. It's the same if, for the groceries, um, grocery shopping that you're doing. You know, around this time of year, coming up to Christmas, we all spend a little bit too much on uh, on chocolate and nice food. This, the supermarket chains make a big uh, portion of their annual income during this period. We're all spending money with these supermarkets, and often what you'll see is that then flows through to the stock market, uh, to the to the share price. So, the the question of whether you can lose everything in the share market. Um, is a point of diversification, really. So, you know, if you decided to invest, let's say you've got £20,000 to invest and you decided to put that £20,000 into Sony, you love the PlayStation 5, you play it all the time, you think Sony's a fantastic company and you want to get in, get into that business. You buy £20,000 worth of Sony, play, uh, Sony um, stock. The problem is, is that no matter how good that business is, you're betting everything on a single business. And actually, if, if you invest that way, that can be an incredibly risky way to invest. You know, even if you only even if you don't invest everything in one company, but you invest everything into three companies. Maybe you um, love Sony, you um, drive a Ford, and you do all your shopping at, at Marks and Spencer. So you invest into those three companies. Again, that is really not very diversified. You've got all of your money in three different companies. And in that situation, potentially it's not beyond the realms of possibility that all three of those companies or two out of three or one out of three can go, could go completely belly up, could go bankrupt. And in that circumstances, you could definitely lose all or a massive portion of your money in a very short space of time. And this is why as financial planners, um, we talk a lot about diversification because diversification is one of the, the key ways that you can reduce the risk in your portfolio. So when we invest money for clients, we don't just invest in a couple of different companies. We invest in thousands and thousands of different companies. And when you invest in thousands and thousands of different companies, the chances of them all go, going to zero, all going completely bankrupt, basically disappears. Because if you actually think about what that would mean, you know, let's say we wanted to invest into the FTSE 100, which is the 100 biggest companies, biggest listed companies in the UK. If they were all to have gone to zero, it means we're not shopping for groceries anymore. None of us are driving anywhere. We're not buying any medicines. We're not spending any money at all. And if that was the case, essentially, we've turned into like a Mad Max movie. You know, none of us are, we've become a, a nuclear wasteland where none of us are spending money. The economy has collapsed. The world has collapsed. And it would be complete anarchy. I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like a pretty unlikely scenario. So again, I keep banging this drum, but it comes back to diversification. But if you're diversified, it's going to be pretty much impossible for your money to go to zero over the long term. Now, 
that's not to say you can go through some pretty um, sizable um, drops over time. You know, if, if we go back to the start of this year during coronavirus, the really, uh, I guess, beginning parts of coronavirus, the stock market, the UK stock market fell close to 40%. So yeah, you, that can happen in a very short space of time, even if you are very well diversified. But the important thing is, is that as long as um, you stay the course, as long as you stay invested, you know, at some point, those uh, those markets will recover. You know, we will all go on spending money. Life will return to s- some semblance of normality at some point, and the share prices will recover. It might take quite a lot of t- a lot of time, but it will eventually happen, or always has in the past, at least. So, um, that's why again we talk about divers- diversification, and we also talk about time frame. Because if you've got um, only a 12-month time frame or a couple of years to invest, you know, potentially you might be forced to sell before your investments have actually had that time to recover. So if you are new to investing, to me, those are the two most key important parts to remember. You need to have a long enough time frame and you need to be diversified enough. And if you if you do both those things, then the likelihood is that um, you're not going to be living in a Mad Max world and your money will still be there for you in the future. Thanks very much for listening today, guys. That's been the UK Money Podcast. I would love it if you could subscribe to this podcast. Um, The more people I get um, listening each week, the more um, feedback I can get, the more questions I can get, the more um, topical and valuable that I can make this. So thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, And if you have time, also, like I say, you can check me out on YouTube. I'm at uh, UK Money TV. You can also find me on Instagram and on Twitter as well. So thanks very much, guys. I look forward to speaking to you next week. 